So we have good news from the Ontario government to get to in the way that 10 new projects given the go ahead. We have that money. We have the environmental assessment now waiting on the federal government. Hello. Hey, anybody home? They're off for the summer. But so is the Ontario government, and we had an announcement here, so we'll wait to see. Maybe maybe we get that shovels in the ground being talked about, and then, then we'll know what true construction is, perhaps. Actually, I don't think it's going to be that bad. Talk to anybody in Ottawa or Kitchener about what it's been like for LRT to go in, and it's been a nightmare. The slogan is, you can't get there from here, and they've hit all kinds of snags and things along the way. Everything always does. We always like to think, well, in London, this keeps happening, and there's always, it takes longer, and it's more expensive. That's the way it is everywhere. And there are snags and snags. I think in Kitchener, for a while, they couldn't get their trains. Do they have their trains yet for LRT? Not even sure, but that was a problem for a little while. But 10 new projects have been discussed. We're looking at things like Certainly BRT, but smart traffic signals, so more of those. Are the smart traffic signals the ones that count down? No, they're the ones that know how to change a little bit differently. It's not built on the sensors underneath the asphalt. We're looking at more buses. We are looking at cycling and pedestrian improvements. Looking at the Adelaide Street underpass and the fact that we could connect Dundas Place to the Thames Valley Parkway. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. And one of the real keys in this, and I think we're going to have to go back and pat some people on the back, some people you might not even want to pat on the back, but one of the keys to all of this was London was one of the first municipalities in Ontario to submit transit projects for funding when that entire process opened up. So the Ontario government went, hey, uh, we've got this. Who wants it? And that's kind of how it works. And you put together a proposal and you put that in. And let's face it, if you are somebody who gets your resume in early on a job, what happens? You have an employer more likely to first off read it. You know, if you're the 700th resume, oh, I'm... This, I just, I'm losing the will. I've read 14 resumes. I just, I can't possibly get to these hundreds of others. Uh, one of these 14 people has to be pretty good. Uh, let's call these three for interviews. You know that's how it works. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of the people who are doing, in this case, the allocating of the money. So how's it going to work? Pretty easy in a way, and you would like to say our world doesn't go like this, but first come, first serve, everybody's human. So you know that there is that fatigue of, oh, look, this has been open for six days. Look at all these projects. What are we going to do with all these? Uh, this one, uh, I'm not reading that right now. Way too dry. This one, oh, it's, it's put down on fluorescent pink paper again. What are they doing in that town? Tell them to stop doing that. How about this one? Yeah, it came in early. Oh, it's London's. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, looks good. Okay. Let's, uh, let's start with something like that. You'd like to think it doesn't work like that, and I can't guarantee that it does, but 
for the most part, yeah, it does matter if you are there early. It does matter if you put together a good proposal. So we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. London Mayor Ed Holder is due to join us on London Live. And former Transportation Minister and now Minister of the Environment, Conservation and Parks, Jeff Urich is due to join us in the next 20 minutes, as a matter of fact. So we'll get their thoughts on all of this and how it falls in place going forward and what exactly has been approved. We'll try and get a few more details on that. We're going to talk some fireworks today. I don't know if they'll set off any fireworks, but the reason I can use the word is they're actual fireworks. We're talking fireworks. If you are somebody that in the past has gone to the East London Optimist fireworks and thousands of people tend to go and see these, they are normally set off right in the old backyard of Clark Road Secondary School. And this year, that's not going to happen. You may have heard that. You might want to spread the word because if you hike out to Clark Road and you're expecting fireworks and you get there and it's pretty quiet and you look around and you say, where is everybody? It's because there isn't a fireworks show for this year. And this actually goes back to something that's been happening for about two years at the Thames Valley District School Board. And it it makes sense from their perspective. This is going to be one of those things, and we'll present both sides to you starting in about a half hour from now on London Live. We're going to hear from the side of those who put on the fireworks. We're going to hear from the side of the Thames Valley District School Board. And you'll probably come away saying, unfortunately, I see both sides. And both both kind of make a good case, and in the end... There are no fireworks, and that's just the way it is, because the Thames Valley District School Board has had to make some changes to their allowances for the use of their property. And you can understand it. Have you ever seen the guy at the end of a street that is lighting off fireworks in a bucket? You know that guy? And he doesn't really know what he's doing, and it's a windy night, and sometimes he's had a few drinks. Do you know this guy? Have you met this guy? And he's got his bucket, and he starts lighting off fireworks. And sure enough, you've got still-lit fireworks, and they're being carried by the wind in all directions, and they'll land on somebody's roof, or they will land somewhere else. And if it's been dry enough, and, you know, let's, let's put a hypothetical situation, let's say it's been dry. Hasn't been very dry around here, but let's just say that it's been dry. What happens if one of those fireworks lands on a whole bunch of dry leaves? Yeah, they can start a fire, sure. So schools have to be aware of that. they got to watch out for that. Well, we're letting everybody use our property for fireworks. Man, some things burned down. That's unfortunate. So you have to watch out for that. You can't blame them, but... In the end, you've also got to look at a case where this is an annual event. This is part of Canada Day weekend, and it's not going to be happening. So the East London Optimist Club fireworks not taking place this year. Spread that word. We are also going to talk about another word to spread, which is traveling from London to Las Vegas to Cancun to all kinds of great destinations. We'll check in on the London International Airport and the fact that they're getting busier. Can our airport handle that? That's one of the questions we'll get to in about an hour from now. Plus, a chance to win Rolling Stones tickets. We'll talk about Super Offsa. I just like the sound of that. Uh, We'll talk to Canadian Blood Services. We've got a lot to get to, but we'll stick around and look at these 
transportation and infrastructure projects when we return on London Live. And we'll get some thoughts from London Mayor Ed Holder and from former transportation minister, now the Minister of the Environment, Conservation and Parks, Jeff Urich. That's next on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So this appears to be a really happy day in London, Ontario. If we look at the go-ahead for what I understand to be 10 projects, provincially anyway, we still need the federal government to sign off on this, but this this seems to be good. This Let's just double-check, because I can think it's good, you can think it's good, but we've kind of got to go to the top to realize just how good this is. Please welcome to London Live... The top of the mountain in London, Ontario, London Mayor Ed Holder. Mayor Holder, thank you so much for being here. Mike, my pleasure. I don't think I've ever been called top of the mountain before. And I hope you take it as a compliment, because as, as I said it, I thought, now wait a minute. I totally uh, received as well as it was intended. Thank you. Let's talk about your reception on what we have heard from the provincial government today. How do you take that? I take this as exceptionally positive news uh, for the City of London, uh, for those uh, folks who are looking to move from their neighborhoods to uh, businesses and to their jobs. Uh, that's what transit does. That's what effective transit does. That was the focus of what we were looking to do, and we got it done today. So in this announcement from the provincial government, how does that factor into the big picture? Well, it's the critical next step. What you had was we needed to have uh, council approval, and we had uh, a commitment, uh, if you recall, from uh, the State of the City address I gave back at the end of January. Uh, I gave Council 60 days uh, to come up with the projects that they felt would get uh, strong Council support. And uh, they did. We came up with 10 projects that received anywhere from two-thirds to 100% of Council approval. Those were the 10 projects uh, that we took forward to the province, ultimately will be to the federal government as well. And it all, t- all ties into now what will become the largest infrastructure project in the history of our city. One of the things we've heard, Mayor Holder, is that London was one of the first municipalities in the province to submit projects. You've that, been in politics a long time. Does that give an advantage? It sure does give an advantage. And why it does is because it will receive, and it did for some time, it did receive uh, the attention of the province and uh, uh, the Ministry of Transportation as they got to look at our project in tremendous detail. Remembering that uh, all three levels of government are providing financial support for this, it is a huge project. And so uh, the province was then required to do due diligence by being first in, and we were first in actually, into the portal to uh, to be considered. It gave the province ample time uh, to be able to review all of the projects, come back with some pretty excellent questions, and we had an incredible staff that uh, were able to deal with all of the questions that were uh, that were asked by the province. We did it uh, in uh, great detail. We did it with great accuracy, and uh, that was well received clearly by the province. What kinds of things did they want to know about? Well, I think when you look at the various aspects of the uh, of the project, particularly when this is transit related, impacts that would have on passenger travel increased passengers, so we had to make certain assumptions uh, based on the information at hand and what we projected. Uh, I think they certainly were uh, interested in impacts as a regional uh, uh, hub, 
So one of the things that we had was a strong support from Mayor Joe Preston and his council because uh, they are even looking at uh, providing ways to get up to what will ultimately become, if you will, like a park-and-ride node or at least a bus node down by 401 area and Wellington so that uh, the workers from St. Thomas, for example, and area uh, can uh, connect to those jobs along the southern and eastern corridors and downtown as well. We're talking with London Mayor Ed Holder about the announcement from the provincial government today regarding 10 projects that were submitted by the City of London. Now, we always hear BRT as being the big part of this, but we've heard things like smart traffic signals or the Thames Valley Parkway or the Adelaide Street underpass. That's great. How, is, that, is that what this is, a whole mix of everything? It's, it's, it includes all of the 10 projects, including those that you've indicated, uh, that the province approved. So there was not one that they looked at and turned down. And that's what's so important to our city. Just to uh, clarify, uh, you'll recall that the initial uh, idea around bus rapid transit were the five various legs. In fact, they weren't even legs at the time. It was just one massive project, and it was up to council either to say yes or no to in the prior council. Uh, what became very clear to me uh, in, uh, this early, in the early uh, weeks of my term is that we were not getting universal support from this council for the whole bus rapid transit uh, project, uh, and I was one of those. But there were the parts that council did support that related to businesses and jobs, and getting people to their jobs on time and back home again, that's absolutely a priority. And is that why you think this has gone through even with the new council? Because there was some question as to what would happen to BRT once the new council came into being. We took the key portions of uh, what was then the bus rapid transit that impacted businesses and jobs and employment in the city, which is a grave, grave issue. And not only did the council get their heads around that and, and actively support, but so did the province. And uh, Minister Scott, when she was making uh, the initial comments uh, at our uh, conference press conference this morning, uh, made reference to the impact it will have on jobs. Uh, Minister Yurk, who I want to give a shout-out to because Jeff Yurk, who is also part of London, his riding is, middle, is uh, Elgin Middlesex London, he understands the regional component. He understands the connection to businesses and jobs. He also made reference to that in his comments. So everybody gets it, and that's why we had the kind of support that we had, not only at the city council level, but also at the uh, provincial level. All right. Everything here has created an enormous checklist, and it seems like a lot of the boxes have been checked. Are we down to one more that says federal government approval? Absolutely. That's the next piece. So, in fact, uh, this afternoon, uh, when this conversation is done, uh, I, I will have a meeting with at least one local member of parliament, a part of the government, and explain to him precisely what has gone on. And, uh, you know, hats off to the uh, the federal government. They've been positive about this, and what they were saying was, get, give us the details around uh, what's what's ultimately going to be and will be approved. Well, we couldn't give them what was approved until today, because today we knew. And so now it's up to the federal government to do its part, I'm confident because the federal government has been anxious to be able to review these projects, do their own level of diligence that they have to do. And I'm optimistic over the weeks going forward that we'll get some positive news from the federal government as well. Well, Mayor Holder, if you have that conversation to get to, let's not hold you up anymore. Thank you so much for the time today. Mike, not only do I appreciate your interest, but I appreciate uh, the importance of this, uh, of what this means for Londoners. Let me say thank you to you as well. Have a great afternoon. And you, please. London Mayor Ed Holder.
Let's now go to another individual who was part of the announcement today and has been part of this for a long time as he served as Minister of Transportation, now Minister of Environment, Conservation and Parks. Please welcome to London Live, Minister Jeff Yurick. Minister Yurick, thank you so much for being here. Afternoon, thanks for having me. What was it like, and Mayor Holder just pointed to this, this, this is also your area. This, this is something you have been a part of, even if it wasn't as Minister of Transportation, just as Jeff Yurick for a long time. What was it like to see today come around? Well, it's, it's kind of nice to uh, have some finality on our part that uh, we're now going to the last step of the federal government approving this project. I, I know I've been speaking with the City of London for a number of years uh, about trying to get this advanced, and I'm, I'm proud today that uh, the province of Ontario has approved uh, these projects, and uh, we look forward to the federal government approving them as well. When we look at getting proposals from municipalities. What exactly is the province looking for to say, okay, we like that one, ah, that one maybe needs to go back to the drawing board. What do you do? Well, I mean, we, we take a review, and, and, and with our government, uh, we're, we're not only focused on, on you know being financially sound, but we want to make sure the project is good for, for the city of London and the province as a whole. But our main factor was we want to make sure that it's going to uh, protect and increase jobs uh, and have job growth uh, and grow the local economy, and, and, and these projects uh, lend towards doing so. So, in other words, you want to see that attached to a proposal? That's important? Uh, definitely, especially with transit uh, uh, projects going forward. Do people need to get to jobs? There There's so many unfilled positions uh, throughout Ontario, especially in southwestern Ontario, that, and people don't have the ability to co- get connected to them. You know, I believe uh, the City of London's uh, BRT proposal and, and the championship champion of, of Mayor Holder, um, these projects are going to start linking the transit system to getting people to the jobs that are empty. We even heard Mayor Holder talking about perhaps linking to St. Thomas as maybe a, a spot right at the 401 where you could have some kind of setup where people could then get on a, a different type of transportation and away they go. Is that looked at in other municipalities as well? You know, there's, there's quite a bit of talk uh, as our government's uh, creating this Southwest Ontario Transportation Plan um, of connecting municipalities uh, to London. And this BRT uh, proposal that is hopefully going to go forward with federal support will be able to create that necessary link so municipalities can actually link their transit systems uh, down the road to uh, the beginnings of Wellington Road, and that opens up opportunity to tra- uh, traverse through London and, and, and hopefully get to jobs or get to your, your health provider if need be. Now, when we look at, at how this plays out from here, you mentioned federal approval is needed. What is the province doing now? Basically earmarking the money that has been requested by London and saying, okay, this, this is it, and now you just wait for that, as we talked about, last check mark? Sure, yeah, we've uh, we've decided with uh, put the money to a side. Uh, it's been through the Treasury Board of the provincial government, so that money is there for City of London. So they're nominated, and now we send them up to uh, uh, the federal government, and uh, it'll go through their Treasury Board process. And, and mind you, any of the projects less than $50 million, the infrastructure minister can sign off on that. It doesn't have to go through the Treasury Board process. And, you know, um, Treasury Boards and Cabinet meet. Uh, when the legislature and, or the House of Commons isn't sitting. So they have ample time before they drop the writ uh, to get these projects approved. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. <laughs> With the fact that there is an election coming, yeah. how how could this be affected? Well, I mean, they, they have all of July and August and probably the start of September uh, to uh, uh, process these uh, applications. And, I, and I'm hoping the, the local federal MPs uh, 
will be championing this and ensuring that uh, it's uh, top of mind with uh, the infrastructure minister and the treasury board uh, president uh, of the federal government. Uh, you know, they, they're the first projects that we've nominated uh, in uh, from the province. So, you know, they, London has a head start to get this done. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope it works out just great. We're talking with Jeff Urich, Minister of the Environment, Conservation and Parks, former Transportation Minister, which allowed for his involvement today. But, Minister Urich, before we let you go, how's the new portfolio? It's like starting all over again, like a new school year for me. I, uh, I've been inundated with uh, uh, reports and uh, briefings, and uh, I have to travel to Halifax on Thursday for a minister's meeting. So, uh, just getting right into this uh, portfolio uh, right away, and I'm pretty excited about it. Well, safe travels, and thank you for the time today. Thank you very much. That is Minister Jeff Yurick, Minister of the Environment, Conservation and Parks. So, 10 projects submitted by the City of London. We had to have City Council approval. We have had to have the the environmental approval. We had to have all of the approvals. Bing, bing, bing. Get checking those boxes. Now we get down to the big thing, which is the money to make this happen. The money that was presented as a possibility by the Ontario government a long time ago and by the federal government a long time ago. And now you get to the point of saying, okay, we've got all this stuff. Ducks are in a row. Why do we say ducks are in a row? That's, that's a topic for another day. I want to stop saying that doesn't make any sense. But everything is all lined up. Now we need those last two check marks. So, bing, we have the provincial one. Now you need to hope that before the writ is dropped, and that'll be the timeline, really, we've got a federal election coming, that we have the federal government say, okay, yeah, all right, uh, all that's in line, and the provincial government has said, yes, okay, there we go. And that's when the money arrives. Kind of like what? Getting getting a loan for a house, only this is not a loan, but you know that when the mortgage comes in, when all the paperwork is done, yeah, we, we can do this. We can buy the house. This is amazing. And you know that that's a great feeling. I think that's what we're waiting on. So we're close. Today, very positive, as London Mayor Ed Holder said. Now, just that one little check mark to come, which is actually a pretty big check mark. Let's hope it does come before the writ is dropped. News is coming up next. We'll return with more on London Live as we talk fireworks in about 10 minutes from now, five minutes from now. Let's say five minutes. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Good afternoon. It is 1.30. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. We have pretty cloudy skies. It is 22 degrees. This just in to the 980 CFPL News Center. London police say an aggravated assault charge laid in a stabbing last week at Jesse Davidson Park has been upgraded to second-degree murder. It comes days after one of the two men hospitalized in the case died of their injuries. Emergency crews were called at the scene on Viscount Road on June 18th for a disturbance. One man was found at the scene with serious injuries, while another was later found at hospital with life-threatening injuries. The next day, police announced one of the two men, 32-year-old Albert Zamora Dockstater of London, had been released from hospital and charged with aggravated assault, while the other remained in critical condition. Police say that man, identified as 33-year-old Stephen William Douglas Burgess of London, died in hospital Saturday. Samora Dockstater remains in custody and will appear in court today. Police say the weapon involved has not yet been located. Ontario announced today the city would receive provincial support for a number of long-awaited transit projects. Ontario's Infrastructure Minister Laurie Scott spoke to reporters inside a bus bay at the London Transit Commission headquarters on Highbury Avenue. Our government is investing in infrastructure that will keep pace with our growing communities, create jobs and build for the future. 
I am pleased to announce that we are nominating 10 new projects put forward by the City of London that will help keep people and goods moving and make life better for local residents. With environmental assessments and provincial support now in the bag, all that's needed is federal approval, something Mayor Holder told 980 CFPL he's absolutely hopeful London will receive. If all goes to plan, construction could begin as early as next year. A federal infrastructure agency is providing $71 million to Via Rail to help it build dedicated tracks in Ontario and Quebec. Some of the funding from the Canada Infrastructure Bank will ensure Via trains can move between a new multi-billion dollar network of dedicated passenger rail tracks and transit systems in Montreal and Toronto. The Infrastructure Bank money will also be spent on environmental assessments and consultations with Indigenous communities along the routes. You're listening to 980 CFPL. There is a new competition. I never did find out who won the Reynolds rap. Were you listening to London Live last week when we were talking about it was a job offer? It was like five grand a week just for a couple of weeks. But you got to travel across the United States tasting ribs. Wasn't open to Canadians. But there's a new thing. And again, I don't think this is open to Canadians. We've got to get some of these things going. The American Society of Travel Advisors is giving one person an opportunity to win the trip of their dreams. So basically, you spend up to $10,000, you can do whatever you want. They need to know at TravelSense.org on Instagram or on Facebook what your worst vacation has ever been. And I I don't know. We'll have to see. I haven't gone there yet. It's, again, TravelSense.org. We'll have to see whether Canadians are eligible. I doubt it. I would really doubt it. American Society of Travel Advisors and a Canadian wins the prize. It's not going to go over very well, but they're looking for vacation horror stories. Maybe we have to do that this summer. If you've ever had a vacation horror story and can shoot us a quick email, I can tell you one or two. Nothing too bad. We've had some potential things. We were landing on a flight one time, and it was an international flight, so we'd have to go through customs, and my wife pulls a thing out of her purse, and it was one of those things that you keep in your car that if you ever drive your car into a lake or you're trapped, it can be a flare, you can smash a window with it. This thing is a weapon. Like, this this thing is a weapon. We're flying to a different country, and... She goes, I don't even know why this is in here. And we're, we're landing. We're descending. And I'm thinking, ah, what are we doing? It's like part knife, part hammer, part stabby thing. It's, it's a nasty little piece of business. And I thought, what do we do? Like, we can't, we can't put it in our, our plane seat, can we? The, they'll know. We were sitting here. And that guy just woke up. We could have fit it in his, but, but now he's awake. So we we kind of kept it. And it was one of those countries where, you know, when you're going through customs and you have to hit the button. This is my favorite. This is my, I know that one day bad things will happen, but I really like it now. But you're going through customs and you hit the button. And if it's red, you have to show your luggage. And if it's green, you don't. So I thought, well, stick it back in your purse, I guess. I don't know. Throw it on the plane floor. She ended up hanging on to it. And so it was very nerve-wracking to watch her hit the button because uh, I didn't know whether it was going to come up red. came up green. She sailed on through. In fact, all of us came up green. 
I don't know that the button is so much random as it is there's a person with the button watching you come through. Oh, here's a little family. Okay, they got young kids. Kids are probably tired from the flight. Let them go through. I'm thinking that's what happened. First garbage we saw, goodbye. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I know that was a gift from you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll promise to buy another one at some point. But worst travel experience ever. If you can email that, we'll collect some of those up. We'll have a worst travel experience day. Hopefully you get a chance to get away sometime this summer. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We are heading into a long holiday weekend. What is the best part about a long holiday weekend? Go ahead. Monday off is nice, but a long holiday weekend in the summer. What is the thing that most people look forward to? It's one thing. The fireworks. Yes, the fireworks. And unfortunately, a main fireworks show that has happened in London for a long, long time and actually attracts thousands of people is not going to happen this year. The East London Optimus Club will not be having their fireworks show on the property of Clark Road Secondary School. And we're about to get both sides of this story. So hang on, because we're going to get one side and then we're going to get the other side. In a few minutes, we'll talk with Chris Yo, Manager of Facility Services with the Thames Valley District School Board. But let's begin with Bud Polehill. Bud is a board member of the East London Optimist Club. And, Bud, you know what? In, in news and talk radio, we don't ever mind when fireworks are going off, right? But uh, we're talking about a, a different kind of fireworks here. The real fireworks. <laughs> well, let's kind of go over this because in East London, the Optimist Club has always put on what is a really big fireworks show. Can mm-hmm. you describe what this has been like in the past? Well, we we have we've had it in a couple of places. We had it in the East Lines Park, and we've also had it behind the uh, Argyle Arena in the uh, in the football field. And uh, we attract probably ten to fifteen thousand people. And it's all free except for the food and things like that. And you want to buy sparklers and things like that. They're all free. They're all paid for, but the rest is free. It's, it's uh, sponsored by our Optimus Club, and we do fundraisers and things like that in order to pay for that. Okay. So And, and, and unfortunately, there's an issue this year that we can't do it. Well, let's talk about what that issue is. Lay it out for us. Well, uh Sometime, I think, uh, when I called the school board last October, they, they did some, uh, some changes to the school board properties, and they said that, they would, that fireworks would not be allowed on, on, on the school property. And, you know, and I understood that meant, you know, like you don't want kids going over there and putting up fireworks in, in, in the schoolyard. Uh, so I understood that was, a, that was a, a good thing to do. But these are professional people. Who have their own insurance? They they have all the safety factors. They, I mean, they don't allow even us within a certain distance of where the fireworks are are uh, are going off. They do this every day, uh, somewhere, and and they're very careful, very particular. They make sure that all the safety rules are followed, and they understand how this all works. So I thought, well, that that would be okay. But no, the lady who's now in charge of the of the uh, that area of the school board uh, uh, said, uh, we don't allow fireworks in school areas anymore. And I said, well, like, what are we supposed to do? This, this means we can't have our Canada Day celebration. And, and her comment was, and I couldn't believe she said this to me, was, well, just do something else. I, that's, 
Canada Day is about fireworks. That's the, that's the focus of it. And so I don't know what else you would do uh, to, to attract people. They, they, that's what they come there for. You know, because uh, an hour before the fireworks go off, it, it just it's swamped with people. How so, many people would you say you normally get? I, at minimum 10,000, probably some, uh, on, on good weather days, 12 to 15. The, the, the whole football field is, is, is shoulder to shoulder. They're in the parking lot at Walmart. They're all over the place just trying to see the fireworks. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad that, that something like this had to happen and it stopped us from doing this. Uh, next year we, we we're hopefully can have it at the new uh, community center uh, in East Lines Park. Uh, we hope we've got enough room there to do it. But uh, we we searched around all over the place trying to find places that would be that would be uh, a good substitute. But there's there was nothing that was convenient to people uh, people to be able to get there. I mean, this is a perfect location because they have uh, the bus goes there. Uh, all the neighborhoods are around it, and it was a perfect location. But it's it's gone now. We're talking with Bud Paul Hill, board member with the East London Optimist Club. They are not going to be able to have fireworks this weekend because of a change to regulations with the Thames Valley District School Board that have said no fireworks on mm-hmm. school property. How recently, I suppose, did you find this out? Well, we were doing our fundraising and raising and everything else, and then we found out that we couldn't uh, that we couldn't uh, have it there. Uh, probably early. January, February, something like that. And when I said to the lady, why didn't you call us and let us know? Well, it's on our website. I said, well, I don't sit down every day and and go through the school board uh, website to make sure you didn't make any changes that might affect me, and I don't think anybody else does either. You know, so if we hadn't stumbled upon it, we would have been we would have been farther down the road and and then found out we couldn't do it. We had we had our fireworks people booked. We had all that done. Uh, we had the showmobile that the city has booked for this year, and then find out we can't do the, we can't do the celebration. So, it's it's unfortunate that uh, we didn't find out sooner. We maybe could have found something, but we we had like four or five months to try and find another venue, and there just isn't anything out there that that would fit the bill. Now, did you lose any money in terms of deposit or anything like that? No, because I think the people that we that we had booked understood the situation they understood it wasn't our it wasn't our problem it wasn't our fault uh, it was something that we couldn't have avoided and so we we didn't get stuck uh, for for a lot of uh, money but uh, we may have some kind of an event somewhere uh, and invite the public just to just to you know as as a uh, i guess a substitute uh, celebration but it won't be canada day it may be just some kind of a a get-together in the park or something. But something that people have become pretty accustomed to going to is not going to be uh, happening this weekend, period. Absolutely, and it's unfortunate. Like I said, we, I mean, uh, it's, I, my son and I, Stephen, my son and my wife, we spent, we would go there at, at uh, well, there would be a lot of preparation work, but we would go there on, on Canada Day morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we wouldn't leave the park or the or the, the venue until probably, one o'clock in the morning, because you know once you get the the, the celebration done and there's cleanup, you got to clean up the park, pick up all the garbage, uh, put everything away, put all the tables away. That was what we did. That was our day, and uh, so I guess we get a day off this year.
<laughs> well, bud, you've done a lot of hard work with it. It's unfortunate almost that you can't do that hard work this year, but you mentioned that there could be a community center that next year you could look yep. to. Is that because it's under construction? It's under construction, and we think that the field behind it where the where the the grass area is big enough to do what we want to do, and then we could have some of the... Uh, some of the celebration events in in the in the community center. So we're hoping that can happen. Uh, we've worked, we've talked to the city already about it, and they think it's it's a good possibility. So we're going to look into that. Once it's done, we have a look at it and figure out uh, what kind of spaces there are available. Then we'll then we'll move on from there. Bud, thanks so much for the time. Hopefully, this is just a one year thing, and everything gets back to normal <laughs> next year. Yeah, it's unfortunate for the people in the neighborhood, and, it, and it's very difficult to get the message out that this isn't happening. I'm glad you called me, because now people who listen to your radio station uh, will, will, will understand that there's not a celebration there, because you can't go out to 10,000 people or 15,000 people and say uh, it's not going to happen. They're gonna, there's going to be people who show up, and it won't be a celebration. It's unfortunate, you know. We're doing our best to try and notify them. Okay. Well, bud, okay. we'll uh, we'll do our best as well. Thanks for the time. Yeah, go nights go. <laughs> go nights go. Bud Paul Hill joining us, board member with the East London Optimist Club. So that is that side of things as to why we aren't going to see fireworks this year. Let's check in because you've got to appreciate what the school board has to do. And we talked at the outset of the show. Everybody has visions and memories of the guy with the bucket. You know. He's at the end of a street, and it's windy, and he's got a fireworks show that he's going to put on like he's doing the fireworks on Parliament Hill. And you watch embers float around all over the place and land on the roof of all kinds of houses. That's the kind of stuff you got to be concerned about. So, yeah, is there a risk? Absolutely there's a risk. So let's talk with the school board in just a moment. London Live continues after this as we talk about some actual fireworks. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have talked about the East London Optimist Club not being able to have their fireworks on the property of Clark Road Secondary School. Right now joining us is Chris Yo, Manager of Facility Services with the Thames Valley District School Board. Chris, how are things? Excellent. Good. Everybody's kind of looking ahead to this weekend, and right now we're just trying to get the word out almost that there will be no East London Optimist Club fireworks. They've normally been held... uh, basically on the football field at Clark Road. But what can you tell us about the fireworks policy at Thames Valley District School Board? So we do not specifically have a uh, policy pertaining to fireworks. However, community use of buildings, facilities, and equipment policy and procedure uh, governs permitted use of facilities and grounds for community access and use. Uh, within that updated procedure, uh, under Section 4.1 of ineligible activities, uh, high-risk activities such as fireworks displays are uh, not permitted on school property. Now, you mentioned updated version. So has there been a change from, say, even last year to this year? Yeah, in uh, the spring of 2017, our board's insurer provided recommendation that our board should not permit fireworks on school premises. Uh, if they're considered to be a high-risk, uh, activity and pose a fire hazard to our buildings and neighboring properties and create a liability hazard for the crowds who are in attendance. Okay. But uh, following this, sorry, that, yeah? that was that was in 2017, so that was the recommendation. When when did the, the change come into being? 
Yeah, so following uh, those those recommendations received, uh, we made a number of updates to the community use of buildings, facilities, and equipment procedure uh, process, which began in January of 2018. Uh, the updated procedure was posted for public input uh, on March of uh, March of 2018, and was finally approved by our trustees in September of, of 2018. Okay, so that brings us around to this calendar year, and it is the first year where you say, yeah, that's that's not something that school property can be used for. Can there be exceptions for maybe more professional shows in any way? So our Board of Trustees passed this updated procedure in September of 2018, and uh, our administration is obligated to uphold it. Uh, however, we're very sorry that uh, any negative effects that it, the change is having on our community. So knowing this, we, we tried to give ample notice, uh, actually as early as January of uh, 2018, uh, so permit holders could find alternative locations for the event. Okay, now we did hear um, from Bud Polehill that you were not that they were not contacted. They actually had to stumble across it on the website, and they were told by someone that, well, it's posted on the website, and his reaction was, well, I, I don't really visit that website a lot. So our community use of facilities team uh, actually reached out to uh, to notify the Optimist Club of East London in January of, of 2018, just to give them a heads up that uh, the, the policy was under review, and this uh, this change was uh, was updated in the policy. Again, we, we had to uh, to wait for the policy to go through public input in March of 2018 and then final final approvement, uh, approval in uh, September of 2018. But we did give a heads up uh, to the Optimist Club of uh, East London in January of 2018. Again, with the, the intention to provide ample notice, knowing that this, uh, this was uh, a change that uh, would have negative, uh, negative implications or negative uh, impact on the community. Okay, so someone did say, how would that notification have been sent? That uh, notification was uh, communicated directly with the permit, uh, the permit requester uh, who would have submitted the permit uh, year after year, typically uh, into our community use and facilities team. Gotcha. Okay, and one final thing. We're talking with Chris Yo, who is the manager of facility services with Thames Valley District School Board. How many requests do you get to host events, or sometimes do you not get requests and then run across a school where, hey, look, there's something happening. <laughs> uh, typically, we we'll, we receive uh, two requests for uh, for fireworks displays. Um, and again, those are the ones that come in as a permanent request. Um, our intention is uh, is to not have uh, anyone that is holding fireworks on our facilities or grounds uh, in, in those areas. But uh, again, uh, as far as permanent requests, we see two per year. Okay. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you giving the Thames Valley School Board side of things. Absolutely. Thank you. Chris Yo, Manager of Facility Services with the Thames Valley District School Board. I can't blame them. It means there's one fewer fireworks display, which is too bad, but if it was your house, you want somebody to come and have a big fireworks thing at your house? I don't. Not if it's the guy with the bucket. Now, as we know... The East London Optimist Club has a professional fireworks display where you have not just the guy with the bucket, not him at all. He he can come if he wants, but you have professionals basically doing it, a group that does this over and over and over. But one policy is one policy, and, and 
for lack of a better word, I'm calling it a policy. Uh, Thames Valley District School Board did not refer to it as a policy. But those are the two sides. If you have any thoughts, 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Still to come, we are going to talk about the London International Airport Authority. We're seeing business boom. Is that a good thing? Sometimes it can be difficult to handle additional business. We'll talk about it. We'll give you an opportunity to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. We will talk with one player who was drafted on Friday night in the NHL entry draft and talk about how his dad outfished him in the process. And we'll look at Super Offsa and why it's a good idea to donate blood before the long weekend. All of that in hour two. We'll fit it in. Don't worry. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Lots of emails coming in on the fireworks situation. We talked about this last half hour. If you want to weigh in on it, 519-643-2222. Basically, the East London Optimist Club is not going to be able to have their fireworks at Clark Road Secondary School. Normally... It fills the football field. This year, there is a change after a review to what the school board will allow. And fireworks, not one of them. And that came into being in September. So this is something that now plays out on a long holiday weekend that normally has fireworks. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can give us a call right now, 519-643-2222. Let's get to a couple of these. Uh, Eugene says, I would talk to the person in charge of the permit. When you check the permit online, it would have indicated that it was denied. Whoever renewed the permit would or should have seen the status of it since permits have to be renewed each year in advance. The organization should have known before this week. We also have Graham saying, this is not a guy with a bucket. <laughs> I love the guy with the bucket. He means so well. Uh, the site plan has to be approved by the fire department, and the technicians running the show are licensed by the federal government, plus carry ample insurance. It is the same organization that does the London fireworks at the Forks of the Thames. It's a shame they can't allow some sort of accommodation for these professional shows. Yeah, that's that's it. And we did ask Chris Yo, the manager of facility services with Thames Valley District School Board, about that. And he said, well, it's it says fireworks. It doesn't matter whether a professional organization is putting it on or whether the guy with the bucket is putting it on. You can't have it. That's too risky in the school board's estimation on their grounds. And then Mike says, schools used to be the focal point of the community. Now, thanks to the bureaucracy of these boards and board members, one experience after another is being stripped from our children. Their responsibility should be the needs of our kids. It's anything but and is disgusting. We really need to dissolve these organizations, eliminate the red tape, and reinvest the money wasted on these boards and salaries back into our kids. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. Let's go to the phones for some reaction on this. Al, how do you feel about it? Well, you, you took the words out of my mouth there a minute ago, but there, there's something going on here otherwise. Somebody's not telling the truth in this, because if this was a legitimately permitted out uh, exhibition of fireworks, which it sounds like the Optimist Club would have done, there would have been a permit, and in order for that permit to be cancelled, it should have had to have come back in a registered letter, and the gentleman from the Thames Valley School Board should have been able to say that. No, we sent them a registered letter. It was signed by Joe and Joe that 
he has received this notification that we can't do this. Obviously, that didn't happen because he just said, oh, we would have reached out to him. No, a business that big doesn't just reach out. They would have made sure it was confirmed. And like the gentleman said, the fire department would have been doing stuff on this already, giving site plans on it. And this is probably advertised. So why didn't somebody at the Thames Valley School Board see this probably two months ago when they started advertising these fireworks? So obviously something's very fishy here that's going on, and somebody's not telling the truth about this. And the thing that they have to remember, this is Shirts Thames Valley School Board property, but this is community property because every one of those houses in that neighborhood that pays taxes pays a school board tax for the use of these facilities and stuff. There should have been, there's, there's information that's not being released here to the public probably from both sides, but I can't understand why this was not registered and right in blue ink right there in front of, like, even Bud. There's there's a problem why it's not. So you think there should have been a registered letter involved? Because we we did ask that, and Chris Yo said, no, the person who would have put the permit through or requested the permit would have heard from the school board. Oh, most certainly. It's a, it's a contract. It's not just a, oh, yeah, here, you can just use the property. This would have been contracted, like the gentleman said, a year ago. They would have booked it. It would have been contracted. I know when I used a gym in a school for ball hockey, I had to prove my insurance. I had to sign a contract. So there would have been a contract here. There would have been permitting done. The Thames Valley School Board has dropped out of this for a reason. And they're not, I totally believe they're not telling the truth. Somebody screwed up here. And because of somebody screwed up, I believe, at the Thames Valley School Board, this whole neighborhood is going without their fireworks, works, which they would have likely paid into last year, you know, the pass the bucket thing, right? They would have paid into. So somebody's not telling the truth here, and that gentleman very, sounded very focused on certain information he could release, and that was it. He did not seem to want to elaborate and just, just you know, like throw a chat out there like, okay, there was a mistake made, we can't do it. He was very, he had that paperwork in front of him, what he, to keep him out of trouble, basically. But I find that with with school boards, and I, I'm not picking on the school boards for this, but this is the way they're going, liability is front and center. I mean, if they yeah. can avoid liability, it doesn't matter in what sense of the word, they're going to do their best to stay away from it. I, I see that but, in all school boards. But there should have been no liability because this company that lets out these fireworks, he has to pay for all his insurance. If that be the case, that the school board would be, be responsible then there would never be an, uh, a festival in the park. There would never be a festival down at Harris Park because those people have to pull out their own insurance so that the city or the Thames Valley School Board would have no responsibility. And the, the Thames Valley School Board would have needed a copy of that insurance from the Optimist Club to say that this is a go-ahead. So if they had that copy of insurance and this is a go-ahead, then why didn't they turn that back down, saying no, 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 months ago? Because they would have needed this all ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You, you don't just go on their property with ten or twenty thousand people and throw off a fireworks display. No, it's and no one simple. admitted that was that was what was happening in the past. It's all been on the up and up. Now with a change in September, it's it's different. Yeah, there's there's something fishy here with the Thames Valley School Board. I would like to know how many complaints they got last year about noise. And who those were complainants were, because I would lay my bet that there's some complainants in there that have got some power somewhere. Interesting. Interesting. And well, thanks for raising the thoughts, Al. Thanks. Talk I'll send them. an email and I'll use the words noise complaints, and I'm not guaranteeing we'll get anything back, but it's worth a try. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. 519-643-2222. John, your thoughts on this? Hey, Mike. 
Um, so I'm on the fire department. I'm a licensed supervisor level one pyrotechnic. I've done hundreds of shows. Every venue that we used to have that was on Thames Valley School property, they don't allow it anymore. It's like they've got their own little Gestapo. They won't allow anything on there. Our, our uh, parade that we used to start in our town was at the high school, and they put a stop to that. Like, this is public property that your taxes and my taxes pay for, and Thames Valley is just squashing everything as if it's their own little property. Now, have, don't... have you heard anything as to why we're seeing all of these things canceled that you're referring to? Well, it's like you said, they, they're afraid of liability. But, I mean, I won't name the town because I don't want to get... No, please don't. Cause, ...cause any waves. But uh, So one of the shows that we used to do was in, on the school property, and the Lions Club put it on. And Thames Valley went to the Lions Club and said, well, you can't do it. Uh, you know, and one of the excuses was liability. We don't pe- want people on the property and, and all that kind of thing. Well, your taxes and my taxes pay for that property. And the uh, president of the Lions Club said, well, we have event insurance. So it's very difficult to get one-time show insurance when it comes to fireworks there used to be one company that underwrote everybody in north america uh and then they pulled out of it but you can buy event insurance so if you're buying event insurance for canada day celebrations through the lions club or whatever town it might be that will cover stuff like your parade that'll cover stuff like fireworks and that you list your events that are going on and then your insurance company will underwrite that stuff it's not cheap you're probably looking for $2,500 for insurance for a one-day uh, event. But there is no liability when it comes to the school board because the event insurance would cover it. They just don't want people on their property. Same thing when we used to do our parade stuff. They, they kicked up a big stink because they didn't want people on the property. We got every excuse under the, under the sun. You know, well, you know, garbage. Well, you know, liability. Well, you know, damage to the property. Like, it didn't matter what we came up with. You know, we'll have somebody walk through and clean up the garbage. Well, no, that wasn't good enough. So I, I don't know what their reasoning is, but as far as I'm concerned, they're dictating what's going on on property that I pay for, you pay for. They don't own it. I mean, if a school shuts down, that goes back to the town. Thames Valley doesn't get the money for the property. They don't own it, and I don't think they should have as much say as what they do. Well, you've raised a really interesting point in a conversation that would ask the question, who, in fact, then gets jurisdiction over that property? Should should we have some way to come back on this as a community and say, yeah, no, that's that's no different than a public park? Well, absolutely you should. I mean, my brother sat on the school board in Saskatchewan because he was in, in their town in Saskatchewan because he was so sick and tired of the bureaucracy of the people that were on that board stopping kids from playing hockey on the property and school grounds and all that kind of thing because of the liability crap. And, you know, they finally got three or four guys with common sense that sat on the school board for the length of time that their kids were in school. And, like, just the, the, the hypocrisy and the stupidity of the thinking, uh, I mean, it, it's almost like you're dealing with their own private property that they don't own. I mean, one of the excuses that we got was, 
you know, we would uh, we would have a uh, porta potty on you know the school property when we were doing parade lineup and stuff like that. Well, they quoted you know well environmental issues. You know, what if somebody kicks over the porta potty? And I mean, it, it was just stupid reasons. And we should have a say. We're paying for it. We pay their salary. You know, not not the other way around. John, you've we made some great points. What's going on? Yeah, thanks so much for the call. Have a great day. That that does beg that conversation. Who is in charge of school property? Because it it does come down to the school being in charge of it. And I'm not faulting any one school board here because it happens at every school board. Everyone is the same. Liability is a key. Watch kids go through school and watch the ducking of liability and the ass covering that goes on. There's a lot of it. And I don't like it. But there's nothing you can do. And as I said before the break, I do understand it. I do understand that a school can't say, okay, we're going to have to find ways to fix this if a fire starts. I, I can understand that. The damage, the garbage, all that stuff. But at the same time, what is it to be used for then? If there is a school that has a football field, should kids not be able to go and play on that football field? As John said, should they not go and be able to play hockey on that yard? Why not? I mean, that's that's what's getting kids out. But all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, it's no different than cities that try and shut down different things. Because why? They don't want the liability. We're a litigious society. Sad to say, but it reaches new levels sometimes. That's a conversation we should probably have. Bob, how are you today? Hey, Mike, I'm that bucket brigade guy. You're the guy with the bucket. <laughs> that's amazing. Have you ever lit anything on fire? No, actually, uh, behind my place is a big open field. So when our kids were younger, we'd have a big display. We had the, one of the neighbors was a truck driver, and he would go to the states all the time, and he would bring these like I'm telling you, almost like big event fireworks, and we'd set it all up in the back with buckets, and we had pinwheels and stuff. It was safe. Nobody ever got hurt. You know, we weren't stupid, and you know, just common sense and. You'll be okay. Oh, we used to have this thing going. I'm telling you what, people used to kind of walk out of their houses and take a look at it, too. Um, but, you know, your last two callers just nailed it. It's like the fun Nazis, you know, are, are back, and they're taking away all this, you know, stuff that we should be entitled to do because we are taxpayers. That is our property. Uh, I agree 100%. And my other uh, thought was they're making all these excuses, but can they come up with, a list of incidents where something went terribly wrong to back up their case of canceling these fireworks. Like, tell them, somebody please come with a report and tell me how many of these fireworks displays went wrong and caused fires or lit somebody's roof on fire. I've never heard of one, have you? Well, I mean, all it's going to take is one, or all it's going to take is even the potential for one. It really is. I mean, that's that's the society we live in. We don't have to like it, but that's the society we live in. Yeah, you know, but here we are. Here we are again. This bubble wrap kind of a mentality. Sure. That's where, a, we live in a yeah. bubble wrap society. Yeah. I don't like, know how to change that. Yeah, well, you know, so a kid goes to school, he's playing, he's playing the hockey on the school grounds. 
and he skins his knee. You think every parent's going to run to a lawyer or something and, and start suing people? There are going to be some you know? parents that complain. I mean, not not necessarily because of a skin knee, but let's say, you know, back when you and I used to run around, if you broke your arm, you broke your arm. Look, you were in a cast for six weeks. Yeah, he was climbing on a thing, and he fell off at the school. He broke his arm. Right. Nobody cared. Now all of a sudden it's, well, why do you have that kind of equipment there? Why why was my little buttercup hurt falling <laughs> off that slide? It's and that's true. that's the way, unfortunately, it is. It's, it's kind of crazy. And that's why I can appreciate what the school board is saying in this, because, you know, that's the kind of stuff they deal with on a really regular basis. You know, Mike, when we were, yeah, you're right. When we were younger at school, we used to play games like British Bulldog and Crack the Whip. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember a friend of mine at recess, we were playing Crack the Whip and he busted his leg. And, and, and you know what happened? They called an ambulance. They brought him to the hospital. And a couple of days later, Jerome was back at school with a, some crutches and a cast. And, and the story. And, that was uh, it. Yeah, yeah and, and British know? Bulldog was tackle. At least ours was. <laughs> exactly. It was. It, it was hardcore, like, yeah, Australian no-rules football there. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, really appreciate the call, Bob. Have a good afternoon. Okay, one more note on this. We're still going to give away tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. We'll do that before our next news break, which comes up in seven minutes. But one last word on this, and it comes from Eugene. And this this is something that I want to leave you with because it's more information. The board does not deal in registered letters. All permit communication is by email and every permit holder is given a login and password to confirm their permits. I've had the status of many permits change several times. It states clearly that the status has changed. They should dictate because the school board is responsible for the property. We've had people sue the school board because they came before the custodian had time to shovel the walk. To say we own the property is ridiculous. If we own taxpayer property or if if, uh, one of your callers says he owns taxpayer-owned property, tell him to come and shovel my sidewalk. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I think it still begs because, I don't know, I make use of school property, to tell you the truth. We've had many a no longer tackle football game, but touch football games in neighborhoods, on fields, that sort of thing. Those are great. Those are great times. I don't want to see those compromised in some way, but who knows? Maybe the next time we've got a touch football game going, we get a visit from somebody saying, hey, you're trespassing, you got to go now, or we're going to write up some tickets. I don't know. Is that what's coming? Then where do we go? Touch football in the street? That's a lot of fun right there. That's a, that's a blast. Yeah, playing football on asphalt, everybody loves that. So it is the society we live in. Everybody's going to protect the stuff that they have to protect. I don't know if it leaves us with a good solution. It's just the way it is. Next up, your chance to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. We'll try and brighten a day for sure. They are coming to Ontario, Canada Day weekend. You may not be able to go to fireworks. Maybe you can go to the Stones. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Let's give you a chance to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. One of these times, I hate to say it, one of these times this will be the final Stones concert. Didn't they do their final tour already? Fortunately, they are still performing, and that is fantastic. It's amazing. Here is what we're going to do. Because we're a talk radio station, we talk a lot, we're going to take some Stones lyrics. You're going to hear them through a computerized voice. 
You call 519-643-2222. Tell us what song that came from. And if you are the first person to have the right answer, you win two tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones coming up this Saturday at Burles Creek with the Glorious Sons and the Beaches and Sloan and One Bad Son and a late night party with Dwayne Gretzky. So that's what we have on the table right now. Here come the lyrics. Don't hang around cause twos a crowd on my cloud, baby. That's all we get. A computerized voice that sounds slightly like Mick Jagger, but not really. Maybe more like Keith Richards. What song is that from? 519-643-2222. If you can name it and you're the first person to do it, then you will be off to Canada Rocks in Burles Creek on Saturday. Rolling Stones, Glorious Sons, The Beaches, Sloan, One Bad Son, and a late-night party with Dwayne Gretzky. Remember, it's not Wayne Gretzky. If you don't know Dwayne Gretzky, look up Dwayne Gretzky. You could become an instant fan. Coming up, we are going to talk some hockey because Ryan Suzuki is now property of the Carolina Hurricanes. He'll take us behind the scenes of what was a pretty interesting weekend in Vancouver for him because he was able to be drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes. So we'll talk with Ryan Suzuki about that. We will also talk with Mike Seabrook, who is the president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. That and more still ahead. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have our winner... And we have the person headed to go and see the Rolling Stones, the Glorious Sons, the Beaches, Sloan, One Bad Son, and a late night party with Dwayne Gretzky. That happens on Saturday at Burles Creek. Lorraine? Yay! What are we looking for? Hey, hey, you, you get off of my car! Yes, you've done it! Yay! Congratulations, you are off to see the Rolling Stones this weekend. All right! Are you a big Stones fan, I think? Oh, I've always wanted to see them. Okay, best Rolling Stones song. What would it be? Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar. Well, here is hoping that they play that this Saturday. Lorraine, hang on. We'll get some information from you, okay? Amazing stuff. Get Off My Cloud was the right answer today. We'll have more chances for you to win Stones tickets Thursday and Friday. Tomorrow, there will be no on-air London Live because the Toronto Blue Jays are set to play the New York Yankees. Now, we'll be here if the game happens to be rained out, but let me just check for a second here. It was supposed to be a really nice day actually here and also a really nice day in New York. Yes, yeah, sunny and 31 for the Blue Jays and the Yankees tomorrow. So it doesn't look like there's any chance of rainout. So we've got the Blue Jays and the New York Yankees final game of that series tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We actually have the second game of that series coming up tonight. And there is something to listen for tonight. The broadcast begins at 7 o'clock on 980 CFPL. Yesterday, the Jays kept the Yankees from hitting a home run until the fifth inning. Then the Yankees hit a home run, and then Giancarlo Stanton hit his first of the year later on. That usually wouldn't be a big deal. So what? Yankees hit two home runs in a game. They've hit at least home run one home run in a game for 26 consecutive games. That now ties a major league record. If they get a home run tonight of any kind, 
at any time. The game could go 19 innings. As long as they get a home run, they will set the Major League record for homering as a team in 27 consecutive games. That's a lot. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we will head out to the London International Airport because there's a lot of activity going on there. In fact, there are a lot of flights going there. And one of the things that we will talk with President and CEO Mike Seabrook about is whether the London Airport can handle all this additional traffic. It's kind of like opening up a lemonade stand and saying, yeah, I've got enough lemonade for 100 customers but there are 200 people in line. What am I going to do here? Is that something that the London airport has to even consider? We'll talk about that and other things when we return. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Lots of things are happening at the airport, and that's certainly good news because... The more we see happening, the more destinations we can fly to right from London. And in fact, Swoop had added Abbotsford, B.C. and Halifax and Edmonton. And now Swoop is adding some more flights. Let's get caught up on all of this. Mike Seabrook joins us. Mike is, of course, the president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. Mike, how are things today as the planes take off and land? I'm watching a swoop aircraft push back from the gate right now, Mike, and uh, things are really good at the airport these days. So pretty soon that swoop aircraft may have a different destination than the one it is taking off to today. Yeah, and uh, they just announced actually today, Mike, their winter schedule. So it does include, we've got uh, Edmonton and uh, and Abbotsford as uh, year-round destinations. The Halifax one that they were doing this summer uh, ends in October, so it was seasonal. But they've now, for the winter time, they've added uh, three destinations, three great destinations. Actually, Vegas, with two flights a week beginning October third, Orlando, um, direct out nonstop out of London, beginning the end of October, and uh, Cancun as well, twice a week um, beginning late October. So. Yeah, the uh, it's great additions, Mike, and then on top of the other services we have to the Caribbean and uh, and those southern destinations, it really rounds out our schedule out of London for next winter. Wow. Now, okay, so do we know exact dates or start dates, or is that still to come? No, we do know it. It was on their schedule, and uh, if if people go to the Swoop website, swoop.com, they can see the uh, the flight times, the prices, and the schedules, but... Yeah, they're like the Vegas. Vegas is typically, ideally, it's a Thursday Sunday market. So you have two flights a week. It allows you a three day vacation in Vegas or a four day, and that's exactly what they've got. So with two flights, you can leave on the Thursday, come back on the Sunday, or you can leave on the Thursday, come back a week later on the Thursday. So gives you options. The Orlando is Wednesday Saturday uh, through the day. So again, a weekend and then midweek. So it can gives you flexibility there in the Cancun. Um, is Thursday and Saturday. So, yeah, they're good flight times, right, for sure. We are talking with Mike Seabrook, President and CEO of the London International Airport Authority, about more flights being added to London. Are there any other, say, London to Vegas or London to Cancuns that other airlines provide right now? Yeah, the uh, the winter schedule right now, so Air Transat uh, uh, operates out of here in the wintertime, and they have for years, so is Sunwing. Uh, this year, Transat's doing Porta Plata in the Dominican Republic, which is a new destination for them. They're doing Cancun as well and Punta Cana. Uh, and then Sunwing uh, does Montego Bay in Jamaica, Cayacoca 
Veradero, Cuba, and Santa Clara, Cuba. So you take that, um, those those transat and sunwing destinations added to the swoop, we've got ourselves, uh, what's that, like 12 or 13 <laughs> southern destinations a week. That's not bad. That's That's not, really, really good. Now we just have to find the time to get there, right? Find the time and the money, but uh, you're gonna. If there's a will, there's a way, Mike. We're talking with Mike Seabrook. You mentioned the winter schedule and summer schedule. That's something that many travelers probably don't even know exists. With Halifax not being part of the winter schedule, could that return? Yeah, certainly next uh, next spring. The expectation is is it will. I, I have been talking to Swoop in the last couple of weeks, and they're they're really pleased with the start they got here. You know, there's certainly ways to get to Halifax out of London without the nonstop. We've got West End and Air Canada today that connect through uh, Toronto and Montreal that could that could get you to Halifax and St. John's and those destinations. So you kind of picture Halifax as a real it it uh, it's a real summer uh, vacation market and that's why these airlines put additional flights on and at those times because they're hitting the peak times so in january and february the travel does lighten up there's a lot of business travel but they typically you know are on air canada or west have to get out there so it makes sense the swoop like what's happening so far in london yeah, they really do. Uh, everything from the operations here. So they've hired a you know a bunch of new staff, and they've worked out really well. The the guys who handle the aircraft and who comes in here, the ground handlers, uh, uh, the company that does it have have been great. And they've their their loads and the number of people on the aircraft and the the average fares they're getting and all those things that make the numbers work. They're happy with those. So, yeah, we've gone off to a great start. I mean, I, it's changed the dynamics of the airport considerably. This, uh, you know, we're up 30, 40% in traffic um, month over month, and our bus- busiest months, July and August, are still to come. WestJet adds another Calgary flight, and, and uh, yesterday, um, WestJet started Montreal service. So, you know, this summer, this terminal building, this airport is going to be. 50, 60, 70% busier on a daily basis. And it's uh, the mood of the place these days is pretty good. Mike Seabrook joining us, president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. Sometimes when when business is booming like that, let's take a, a burger shack, for instance. It's great to do that, but all of a sudden you've got a lineup that bends around the corner, and that can be yeah. difficult. As far as handling that kind of an increase, is that okay? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, honestly, Mike, we were worried about that because when you ramp up, you don't know. I mean, schedules, if every aircraft comes at the same time, you've got problems. But um, certainly the schedule that we've got today, it's staggered enough that our building, the queues going through security, um, the you know, the parking lot operations, things that we were worried about so far, knock on wood, um, it's gone well. And, you know, we're, we're asking people and monitoring, you know, our customer service down there and, uh, no complaints. It's 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 going smoothly. I mean, you compare ourselves to the alternative of Toronto and Detroit and some of the congestion issues and and confusion that those uh, large international airports have. Even with a little bit of uh, of um, you know optimal, a little something a little less than optimal, it's still a lot better than the alternative. And we've had no problems. It's been really good. Hey, good to hear, Mike. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for the update. No, thanks for checking in, Mike. Mike Seabrook, president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. So, busier? Yes. Able to handle it? Yes. All right. Two more checks in the box. We've got a great checklist going today on London Live. Let's uh, 
Come back in a moment, and we'll talk with a guy who's checked something else off on his list. Let's see. Become the best hockey player he could. Yeah, got that one. Uh, be selected first overall in the Ontario Hockey League's priority selection. I don't know if that was a goal of his, but that happened. Uh, become an excellent player with the Barry Colts. Yeah, that's happened. How about get drafted by an NHL team? We'll talk with Ryan Suzuki very quickly before we close out the show because he has just landed in Carolina at their development camp. He was a pick of the Carolina Hurricanes at number 28 overall in the NHL entry draft going back to Friday night. One of four London connections. Mason Millman went to the Philadelphia Flyers. And then two London Knights, Connor McMichael, went to Washington. And Matt Guskov was selected by the Minnesota Wild. So we'll talk with Ryan Suzuki in a moment. What do you do to try and take your mind off draft day when you are getting set to wait to hear your name? Uh, we'll ask him that. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. NHL entry draft happened on Friday night, and we just got a call from one of the people drafted, one of the London connections. He has now landed in Carolina, so let's take a little bit to talk about how he got to Carolina because it's one thing to be drafted. You don't realize all the stuff that happens very quickly after the draft takes place. The NHL entry draft began on Friday night. Londoner and former London Junior Knight Ryan Suzuki was taken 28th overall by the Carolina Hurricanes and joins us now on London Live. Ryan, you've got to tell us what it's like sitting there and waiting to hear your name when you have no idea exactly when your name is going to be called. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty uh, pretty nerve-wracking, like just kind of thinking about it, like didn't know where for sure. And uh, I, was, I was just like a little unsure where I was going to go. So uh, it was definitely a little nerve-wracking. But um me and my family got to do stuff around Vancouver and kind of keep my mind off it for a bit. So we went like fishing and uh, walked around the city and uh, I was just good and good to spend time with my family before the big day. Now, any salmon fishing? I mean, you're out on the Pacific ocean. Is that where you went? Yeah, we were, we were out salmon fishing. Yeah. Did you catch any? Yeah, I caught a couple, but uh, my dad actually caught the biggest one. It was about, I think it was three feet. It was pretty big. It was wasn't crazy, but bigger than anything I got. Three feet. So. That's that's not bad. Yeah. But then then the Carolina Hurricanes catch you, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But you at least had Nick go through this. How much did you rely on him for saying, okay, what's it like to be in the stands and hearing names called that aren't yours? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, just kind of having Nick go through that process and me being by his side when he, he went through it is uh, – it was pretty special, and um, just to kind of be in his shoes this time, it was uh, it was definitely a little nerve wracking. Like, wasn't sure what number. Like, he just I just kept seeing names go, and uh, I think right when I heard my name called, it was just a big relief, and I was just super excited, and uh, I was just glad to be picked by Carolina. You go to an organization that's coming off a dynamite year. What do you learn about the organization after you're picked, and get to talk with them a little bit? Um, they definitely like, they've had a couple of rough years, but, uh, I think last year they just kind of showed really what they're, what they can do. And, um, I mean, their fan base got behind them throughout that whole run and uh, it was just pretty special to see. And 
Uh, they got some fun stuff that they're doing after the home wins, the storm surges and stuff. So uh, it's definitely definitely a fun time in Carolina. So I'm um, just looking forward to play. Have you ever played Red Rover or Duck Duck Goose on skates? <laughs> no, not yet. But I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't mind. Anything, yeah. Yeah, if no, you, for sure. If you ever yeah. got the chance. So what happens yeah. now? Because people don't realize it's not, hey, the draft is over and now we'll see you in the fall. Uh, take us through the next steps. Yeah, so um, right after the draft, kind of get to, like, you know what team you're going to, and they figure out flights for the following week. So um, Monday, I kind of got to spend time with family in London, and then uh, I just flew out this morning. At, uh, I got up at 4 a.m., so early morning today, and um, I got here around 10 in Carolina and got in and uh, just got fitted for some stuff, and I'm just back at the hotel now resting and uh, getting ready for a week of uh, skating and testing with the team. Well, congratulations, Ryan. This is phenomenal. Can't wait to see where your career takes you. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thank you very much. London's own Ryan Suzuki, now a draft pick of the Carolina Hurricanes. And in Carolina, that's how quickly it happens. They have their development camp, and then they'll be back for rookie camp. Basically, early September, the NHL announced today that their season is going to begin on October the 2nd. We also have news. If you are an Italian soccer fan, you're a happy Italian soccer fan. Italy beat China 2-0 earlier today at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Netherlands taking on Japan in the late match. Canada sadly eliminated yesterday in a match against Sweden. One of those cases where everybody's going to second-guess absolutely everything because Canada just they didn't have the attack they normally had they didn't create that many chances offensively so was their strategy right they'll second guess that and then there was a penalty kick to take off a handball and Janine Becky and Christine Sinclair apparently talked and it was decided that Janine Becky would take it she's an excellent player and she was stopped and you had a very veteran keeper in the Sweden goal and she made the save and That's what happens. That was Canada's best chance to score. They did not, and they wind up losing in the round of 16. So it'll go down as a World Cup where Canada looks at it and says, well, what could have been? But we'll see how they approach things going forward and whether the style changes a little bit or whether you just say, you know, first two matches were great. Last two weren't exactly what we wanted. You just go onward and upward. We also have a note from Robbie that I want to get to. And Robbie says, I heard that you talked to the mayor in London about transit and talked about putting in buses from London to St. Thomas, about the airport offering more flights. Robbie wanted to point out, back from 1930 to 1955, the London Port Stanley Railway ran electric trains from London to St. Thomas and to Port Stanley. No air pollution. Would you call making or more buses making progress. Robbie says, I don't think I would. Why not go back to electric trains? I'd love to see more train travel. We talked about this last week on the show. We don't make train travel easy enough for ourselves. Take a trip to Europe. Take a look around. Use their trains. You'll realize, yeah, we, we're missing it here. Even Amtrak finds ways to do it better. I'm not sure who to fault. Last week, we seemed to come to the consensus that it was more federal government than it was VIA. But whoever is making it difficult, why don't we make things easier? 
And I think we are going to see. I mean, there, there's there's news from Via that you will likely hear in just a few minutes talking about what they're going to do with certain tracks in Toronto and Montreal so that they don't have a conflict with CN Rail and CP Rail. So that's something that they're already looking at. But no, we've, we've got to do a better job with trains, hands down. Robbie, you're exactly right. And hopefully our future does hold some of that. We have the latest on BRT and other projects and the provincial approval and what comes next all coming up as Jacqueline LaBelle has news. Thanks to Kelly Wong for her help. London Live brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.